Anyway, thanks, guys. Yeah, hopefully mom isn't too loud in there. You know, <laughs> you can still hear me. Um, let's just pray before we begin and ask God to bless our time. I just have a few thoughts I wanted to share with you guys, and uh, then we'll kind of dig into uh, Scripture. Father in heaven, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for all of us uh, who are gathered here. I pray that you would just help us to focus on you this weekend, but also just focus on what you would have for us to learn uh, amongst our fellow believers and the fellowship that we have and the relationships that we create and maybe rekindle here. So just thank you for the time that we have here together. Bless the, the words of my mouth and the, the thoughts that we think and the words that are spoken here, Lord, as we, as we dig into your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, like Dad was saying, uh, I, am, I was in Texas for a while, and I recently, as of January, moved to Washington, D.C. Um, last year, uh, well, I guess, the, I guess you go back to 2017. The end of 2017, in December, I had a great life. I was chief of staff in Austin, Texas for a state representative. I love state politics a lot more than national politics. If you don't understand why, just watch the news. You'll understand why. State politics are a lot more uh, fun and um, to me, I thought. And then there was this guy who I knew but wasn't really close with uh, who was going to run for Congress and he needed a, a campaign manager and he harassed me until I agreed to do it. And we subsequently wound up winning an 11-way primary um, and then went on to a runoff, which is something you do in Texas. You don't win outright. You have to, the two top vote-getters go into a runoff. We won that, went on to the general, beat the Democrat. Oh, Sorry, this was a nonpartisan recording. Anyway, beat the person we were running against in the general election. And then uh, January of this year, we we moved to D.C. and I took on the role of being his deputy chief of staff. Um, It's a glorified term that really means a lot of things. And I'll dig into that a little bit and what we're going to talk about. But I do do enjoy it. I enjoy working with him. Um, D.C. is an interesting place. People say, how do you like it? I say, it's a great place to visit. I'd hate to live there. But now I do. So uh, it, it's just, it's different when you live there. It's fun to visit. And he's probably harmless. Um, but anyway, all I wanted to talk about with you guys for a few minutes was uh, Dad had mentioned last night, and I know a lot of what we're talking about this week, Dad talked about, and was in actually my favorite uh, passage in the Bible, it's Philippians 3, uh, one I memorized years ago, Pursuing uh, the prize, which is Christ. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today, but, but more on the lines of what does it mean to do it in everyday walk in your life? Not just uh, living the Christian life, but sometimes, I know for myself, I find that it's, it's not easy to be a believer, have a job, work around unbelievers, or just pursue the goal, pursue the prize, which is Christ. In everyday life. And so I just wanted to talk about some things and some, some thoughts I had regarding that. And we'll be in Ephesians 5. Um, I'll skip around a little bit, but I'm going to go into Ephesians 5. You know, something I've found, not just in politics, this is a general rule in life. People in general love a good story. They like a story of success, of winning, makes them feel good. We, putting myself into this, we love to feel good. We love to watch the hero ride in, succeed, win the day. We like to watch him ride off into the sunset victorious. Maybe he gets the girl by sweeping her off her feet. Or we like to watch a movie where the battle comes to a crescendo and our favorite characters just, they, they raise victorious glasses and they just, they celebrate. Those are good things. We love those things. Or, or we, for sports enthusiasts, uh, we love to watch our team win. Uh, and when they win, we say, we did it, as if we had something to do with it. Right? 
If they lose, we're like, oh, they lost, you know. <laughs> that's what I say. I enjoy a good movie. I, um, I enjoy it when it ends with triumph and feel-good emotions. I enjoy it as much as the next guy. But stories um, that many times catch my interest are the ones that leave me thinking. The ones um, that are not so happy in their ending. The melancholy endings or the, the tension in the endings. In Ecclesiastes, that I thought I had marked. Um, I do have marked. The verse, Ecclesiastes 3, you don't have to jump there. I'm just going to read that. It says, and there is appointed everything... A time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot when it's planted. Skipping down, it says a time to weep and a time to laugh. There are different seasons in life. It's biblical to feel sadness in many ways. But there is something else on the other side of that. And so I want to read for us Ephesians 5, uh, which is where we will hopefully glean most of our uh, most of our. Uh, wisdom from today. Um, Ephesians 5, if you would turn there to Ephesians 5, as I'm turning, if you have your Bible. Ephesians 5, verses 14 through 17. I feel it necessary to kind of give a little bit of the preamble to those verses because before we get down to verse 14 in this, uh, if you go through verse 1 through 13, he's talking about being imitators of Christ, being children of God, how to walk as an imitator of God, what that means, but also what it means to not be an imitator of God. He talks about all, he goes and lists all the things we shouldn't do. And then he gets down to verse 13 that I'm going to read before 14 because I think it helps. He says, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, not as, excuse me, Yes, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you, in your current position, or just in life, ever get tired of what you're doing? Do you ever not like where you're at? It is difficult, likely impossible, not to ever... Well, maybe for some of us, even the most optimistic or those with the cheeriest outlook on life are going to get tired of what they do. There are going to be those days, those moments. But here, as we're looking at the scripture verse that he's talking about, uh, Paul is talking to them about, you know, he's been talking about their daily lives and how they're living and how not to live and how to live. But he tells them to awake. I think for me, when I go about, especially working in politics, when I work, I'm on the hill. I'm literally right across the street from the Capitol. It's easy for me to get bogged down on what I do on a daily basis and to get tired of it and feel like nothing is happening. When they say it takes an act of Congress, they're not kidding. It's, uh, it takes forever to get anything done. And that's why they call it an act of Congress, because it takes forever. And sometimes when I'm working up there, I feel like nothing is going to happen. And it's easy to get lulled into the day-to-day of what I do and to get bored. And Paul's talking to these people here, the people at Ephesus, about not becoming deadened or asleep or asleep in their daily Christian walk. And for me, I get tired and deadened and I fall asleep in my daily Christian walk. But here he says, awake. And there's an urgency, an awakening of the Christian. He says, awake. He's talking to them almost as if he's telling them, guys, awake. 
Because you probably are asleep or you could be asleep. Don't do these things. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, There's an urgency to Paul's words here. Dead, a very descriptive word. And if you were asleep, that's a very descriptive word. What's worse is to be asleep or deadened in your Christian walk. You will fall into a darkness that he's been talking about for the last 13 verses. And so, uh, you know, I'd, I work amongst unbelievers on a daily basis. And if, if Christ is going to come up, if the topic's going to come up, I'm probably going to have to be the one to bring it up. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't work in that kind of a situation. Maybe you work, some, maybe you work amongst mostly believers or you work amongst people who profess to be believers. But nevertheless, if Christ is going to come up in your life and in your heart, you're going to have to be awake and you're going to have to be the one to preach it to yourself. Because when you preach it to yourself and you read and you get in his word, that's when you will actually have the opportunity to be able to speak it to others. Because if you're not in it yourself and you're not preaching the truth to yourself, you're not going to have any interest in talking about it with others. When I go out after work and we go out to eat or whatever we're doing and we're hanging out with people, it is easy not to bring up spiritual things. It just is. You get into the conversation and there's that moment now... There's always, and not to pick, I don't know if any of y'all do this, but there's that person who says, well, it's that awkward, like, well, well, I love God. You know, you don't put it out there on the table like that. Everybody's like, okay, do you have something? Like, should we be taking, uh, you know, something to ward off this, you know, whatever you have? But no, not like that. But it's finding in the moments, you know, who is it you talk about when you're having a conversation with your coworkers? Or who is it you talk about when you're speaking to people or your family or even people who are believers, Because if we don't talk it in our own hearts, as it says in Psalms, and I'll reference in a minute, we will not talk about it with people around us. Do you ever, do you guys dream, do you ever have nightmares? I still have nightmares, even though I'm a grown man, or at least I appear to be a grown man. Um, Have you ever ever been in a nightmare, you're freaked out, you wake up, and like, it's still there. You're still like, and you kind of have to get up, and you kind of have to shake it off, because it feels like it's still there. Paul here is telling these people, you need to wake up. If you've been sleeping, or if you are asleep, you need to wake up. Because if you are, and you're awake, or you're you're asleep, and you're deadened, then these are the things in the last 13 verses, moral impurity, and and, and, um, not showing, uh, actually I'll go back and read them, silly talk, coarse jester, whoa, court jesting? I don't know, isn't it? Coarse, coarse jesting. He goes through a list and he says, these things are not fitting for you, the man of God. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, who has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. This is not how he behaves. That's what he's telling us. And so when you skip down to verse, or in verse 14, he says, for this reason it says, awake sleeper. Don't be this way. He's assuming that the people in Ephesus are believers. He's assuming that they know God, that they have a relationship with him. And I assume... I hope correctly that most people in this room are here because you are seeking God and you want to know more about God. And, and if not, then this is still good for you. But for those who have a relationship with him, to seek him in your everyday life means that you will seek him in your own heart first. So that that will come out when you're around others, when you have the opportunity to speak of him. If you want to see the depravity of man, you should get into politics. Um, I realize the depravity of man is everywhere, and it's probably going to happen on the volleyball court this weekend. But, uh, but if you want to truly experience the depravity of man, I invite you to volunteer in politics and get involved. Whatever is out there, whatever, whatever fun, wicked things there are, 
there is an abundance of those available to you in politics. And I don't say that to say that every politician is wicked, nasty, and a horrible person. What I'm saying is that there are opportunities you have, you're given the opportunities to experience things that perhaps on a smaller level somewhere else you might not see. And so you experience on a daily basis temptations and things that you, I have no doubt, struggle with, the same as I do. Wherever you are, it's easy to become numb and dull to your relationship with Christ. But here Paul is telling the people of Ephesus to awake, arise from the dead, and he's telling us at the same time. There was a, a, a blog that I read recently that I wanted to reference and just mention to you guys. Uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from it. The guy who uh, writes this blog is uh, very interesting. He writes short stories for children. They're very good. His name is Chris Wheeler. He's been uh, put in Reformed today and a couple of other publications and he writes sometimes stories of animals and things like that for children and anyway I was reading his blog um, the other day and one of the things he mentioned was a book the book was called Going on a Bear Hunt it was written about 30 years ago and he goes through and he talks about in his blog how uh, this book that his children had grown up reading was put into an animated adaptation on Amazon Prime and so when he saw it on there they thought, oh my goodness this is great let's watch it well, they changed the ending of the adaptation a little bit, and they experience it a little bit differently than they do in the original book. And it's a little bit sadder. In fact, so much so, you may have guessed from the title, Going on a Bear Hunt, that these people are looking for a bear in this book. And uh, towards the end of the, of the adaptation, his little daughter is watching this show. And uh, just briefly, the part of the book that, that he is talking about that's put into the animated adaptation is this little girl gets split from the main group and she gets lost. And she'd recently lost her grandfather. He had passed away. And she finds this bear. And this bear is all by himself and he's sad. And she goes over and gives him her scarf and her hat and she's trying to comfort him. And the bear responds in kind. And they seem to develop some sort of a friendship. Well, then her friends and family arrive and they see her with the bear and they freak out and they grab her and they drag her away. And the bear leaves and he's very sad. And that's the story. And he said his daughter burst into tears. I mean, she was just devastated. And at first he was like, oh no, maybe we should have to turn this off. But they finished the show, and at the end of the show, the bear is walking off by himself into the snow. The girl is back home with her family, and it's a little melancholy. And he said at first his daughter was so distraught that he thought, how can we help this girl? He said, but his wife and he talked, and they realized this is a perfect opportunity to talk to their daughter about how not all endings are happy. They're not all what you would hope. Not every ending ends with the hero riding off into the sunset. And so he actually, I'll read what he says in his blog. He said, as a dad, I love happy endings. I love to remind myself and my kids that there's a deep hope to be had in the reality of a future life together with Christ and those we love. I see happy endings as a weapon sometimes against the darkness in our world. A reminder that joy comes in the morning. Spring follows winter and Christ did indeed defeat death once and for all. Of course, those happy endings must, be, uh, must come about through much troil, toil. We cannot have the resolution of Act 3 without the tension and crisis of Act 2. We cannot have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Now, and I thought, found that actually very comforting because in life, no matter where you are, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't, well, some of you I do, but I don't know what all of you are doing. I don't know what your station is in life. I don't know what your, um, I don't know what your future looks like or what your goals are. But if you look at this story and, and, the, and the way he writes about this story, I was reminded that so often it's easy 
to, to hope for the best ending. To hope that every story we have, or maybe daydream about the best ending that's going to happen for you. I remember when I was younger, I used to think one day I'm going to run for high office and I'm going to be this and that. And then as years went by and things didn't go quite according to plan, I stopped and I began to think differently. God, through trials and issues that came up in my life, taught me that sometimes things, many times, things don't go exactly how you planned. But they do go according to how God planned. Even, even if it goes horribly wrong according to today's standards. Now, with any story that we watch today on a movie or any book that we read, including this one, that he references here in his blog, we know the ending of our story. We know the final chapter. We know the final act and how, how everything is going to go. We have a sure and certain hope. But how do we live that out? How do we live out that hope in our daily lives? How do we live out the certainty of what we know is to come? Because frankly, I, I don't find it very easy. I don't find it very fun most of the time. As I said before, if I work with mostly unbelievers, and if Christ is going to be spoken about, I'm going to have to be the one to bring him up. Maybe you work alone, or maybe you work with those who profess Christ. But in Psalm 15.2, as I referenced earlier, it says, and I will flip over there, Psalm 15.2, so that I don't misquote it. It's actually one of my favorite short psalms that was written, because it's so encouraging, but it's also very convicting. It says, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness, whoops, yep, and speaks the truth in his heart, speaks the truth in his heart. This psalm that David is talking about, it's talking about who may abide with God, who may actually dwell in his tabernacle. If you're going to be a man of God in everyday life, if you're going to have a relationship with those around you and be effective for Christ, you're going to have to be who, psalm, who the psalm is talking, psalmist is talking about right here in Psalm 15. He says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent or who may dwell in your holy hill? Some say tabernacle. He who walks with integrity integrity, and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Do you speak the truth in your heart? Do each of you speak the truth in your heart on a daily basis? Are you spending time alone with the Lord? Are you seeking out followers of Christ? Are you seeking out people who will challenge you? And make you think more about your relationship with him. If you are speaking the truth in your heart, when the time comes, you will know how to behave, how to treat, and how to witness to your fellow man, no matter who that is. In verse 15, after 14, he says, Therefore, be careful now, in Ephesians 5, 14 and 15, be careful now how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And you're like, well, duh. Of course we don't want to walk as unwise men. Well, obviously the people at Ephesus needed to be spoken the plain simplicity of telling them, hey, don't be unwise, be wise. But he's referencing the fact that if they've been asleep and they've been deadened, then they definitely, when they wake up, maybe their first inclination, your first inclination as somebody who's a sinner is not to rush to Christ, but you try to look for your own way to do it. You try to find your own way to work out what you know you ought to be doing. And I find that when I rely on my own skill and ability that I often fail. But it's when I rest in Christ, when I walk carefully, not as unwise men, but as wise. We do not know how long we will be here. Therefore, on this earth, fill your mind with what is good and right. Set your affections on things above. Reading God's word, communing with him, finding those believers and those fellow Christians 
and delving into a relationship with God's people and with His Word. Now, how do we live a life pursuing the prize? And I love that. When Dad, I didn't know you were going to preach from Philippians 3 last night. And so I, when he said that, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I mean, I already thought my dad could preach really well, and I thought it was going to be cool. But I like that chapter that you were there. And so I started reading the whole thing as you were, um, as you were preaching. And I was just reminded of, the, if you haven't read the entirety of the passage last night when he was preaching, you should go back and read it for this whole weekend. Because what Paul talks about through the whole thing is this idea that pursuit of Christ does not happen by osmosis. It's not something that just takes on a life of its own once you become a Christian. It's a daily walk with Him. It's a pursuit. Pursuit requires action upon the part of the believer. And so how do we live a life pursuing the prize in this climate and age that we live? Well, we cast off sensationalism and feel-good Christianity, and we recognize that our reality, even though not always glamorous, is ours, and it is up to us how we live our reality. Often, uh, when I meet people or I catch up with friends, they ask me what I do for a living or what I'm up to right now in my life. And I tell them, I'll say, well, I'm, I'm a deputy chief of staff for a, for a congressman. And the reactions always interest me. And it doesn't always happen, but I get the feeling sometimes the people I talk to, they find that somehow being involved at a higher level of politics is glamorous. Especially, you know, at the higher level that I'm, I'm at. And whether, whether they do or not, or whether anyone does or not, I can assure you today that my life is anything but glamorous. I like to tell people who ask what I do and what my work is like in D.C. and in politics, I often say, well, my work's very similar to yours. We share a lot in common, you and I. I have to be at my job every day at a certain time. I have people above me who I answer to, and if I don't get certain projects done, I lose my job. We all have very similar things in our lives. We all have people that we answer to. You see, our lives, yours and mine, are not so different. There are people I answer to. There are things I have to accomplish. And I offer to you that it's not what we're doing in life, but it's how we're doing it. And it's what we're pursuing through that work that is what matters. Because you can be a plumber. Maybe you love to be a plumber. Maybe you are a plumber. I'm not knocking plumbers. Man, they make more than I do. But you can be a plumber to the glory of God. And you can serve Christ faithfully no matter what you're doing. Or you can spend a lifetime daydreaming of how you want your life to go. Or you can set goals and pursue a life that you know God has called you to and set the goals to accomplish the passions you want to pursue that you believe He has given you. The passions that you believe have come from Him. How do we stay on track? How do we know that God is leading us? My boss, who I work for now, the congressman, he often says, we'll be in the middle of some project or some big thing, some vote he has to take, and He'll say, you know, I often just wish God would write something on a note and just leave it in my mailbox. He said, wouldn't it be nice if God worked that way? And then he chuckles. He said, I know, I know. It doesn't work that way. But I know what he means. Often in life, you think, man, it'd just be easier if God just told me what to do. The truth is, he has. He has told us. He has shown us. He has given us a roadmap. 
as Daniel was talking about last night, if you want to know if you're pursuing a passionate relationship with Him and you are living out and living in the Spirit, look at Galatians. Read the things there. Are you living out the fruits of the Spirit? Are you being gracious to people? Are you being loving, long-suffering? Are you, are you being the things that God has called us to be in His Word? It's really not that hard, but it's so difficult at the same time. It's not hard to see if you're the believer and you're looking into God's Word and you're seeking Him. But it is hard to live out. I find. Do you find that? Do you find it's hard to live out? Because I do. If you are doing anything to the glory of God... You can be actively seeking Him and His plans for you, whatever that means, whether that means traveling the world or spending your life hopping from one job to the next. Having a nomadic life does not mean you have to be a nomadic Christian. You can move physically, but be grounded and set in your relationship with Him. And I fight on a daily basis. I fight on a daily basis to be joyful my relationship with him because things usually don't go the way I want them to go and that's probably mostly my fault but my expectations are are too too far gone perhaps but often and we all have expectations every year when we go to Ecuador and I go with the team I usually tell the young people I don't know if I told everybody this year but I usually tell them hey guys put aside your expectations for this trip whatever you thought put it aside because when you go on this trip everything that you thought very likely won't happen Especially if you've never been on a mission trip before. This is going to be a whole new experience. Or it's even worse, if you've been on another mission trip and you go on a new one, you expect it to be the same. And it won't be. Nothing is going to be the way that you make it in your mind. And that is true of your daily walk. It is your responsibility to pursue Christ passionately. I want to go back to Ephesians 5. It says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Boy, ain't that the truth. So then do not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Dad once told me the story of a professor, and uh, he's gonna, he can correct this later, but the general story was that when the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, when the, I believe it was the conservatives took over the Southern Baptist Convention one year, he lost his position, is that correct? And it was a professor who served at one of the seminaries, in fact, it may have been the seminary, one of the denominational leaders, one of the denominational leaders and he was interviewed uh, or talked to by a Christian publication, a publication, I believe, and they said, how do you feel about your demotion or how do you feel about, you know, your backwards fall from this? And he said, there is no up or down in the will of God. There's only forward. And ever since dad told that to me, I wrote it down. I keep it in my Bible because a lot of times for me in life, I feel like it's up and down. I've been fired from a job. I was fired from a job I really liked. I thought I was good at it. I thought I was doing a great job at it. And at the time, I thought I'd been demoted. I felt I'd been demoted. I didn't feel like I could tell people that I'd been fired. But there is no up or down for the Christian. There can only be forward in the will of God and the pursuit of godliness. 
We think of things in earthly terms and we think of things here in the temporal. And so it's easy to think, man, my life is ruined when something goes wrong. I think that when something goes wrong on social media for my boss. I'm like, oh, that's it. We're not going to win re-election. It's over. <laughs> but if you live life with the pursuit of the end goal, the prize, which is Christ, which we will not attain to tomorrow, by the way, probably won't attain to the next day. It is a lifelong pursuit and a passion that you must develop. And if you don't have it, then get in the Word, seek it, and ask God to give you a passion for the pursuit of who He is and who His Son is in your life. Because if you ask Him for it and you are a believer, He will give it. We go through times. I go through times. Sometimes I feel like I go through times on a daily basis where I just don't feel like a Christian or feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. Do you ever feel that way? I felt that way 20 minutes ago. I'm probably going to feel that way later. It is something that we struggle with because we rely on our own strength and our own humanity to accomplish what God says we cannot do on our own. And we have Christ living in us. Therefore, we can live in him and pursue him. But then we don't. And we feel as though we're failures. Well, you are. And I am. Apart from Christ. And so here Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise in verse 15, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Our time is limited. Make the most of what God has given you. Whether you are going to be in that job for this next week or for the next 30 years, and whether you are going to be single for one day or the next 30 years, yeah, who knows? You have to live your life as though Christ is all that matters because everything else falls under that. And I preach this more to myself, I speak this more to myself than I do to any of you because I know my own shortcomings. I'm the weakest man I know. Have any of you ever uh, seen the movie The Man Who Knew Too Much, the one with Jimmy Stewart? Well, you should. Um... There's another one, it's older, but the one I'm referencing has a song by, by Doris Day. She sings it, Que Sera Sera. It's a great song, it's a great little ditty. She sings it for her song, it's very humanistic. Um, but the, the song that she sings so well, Que Sera Sera, it means whatever will be, will be. Relates more towards the Spanish. Originally, I believe it was in Italian, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, it sprung onto the scene in the year that the movie was, was, uh, was released, and it became kind of a, a very popular song during its time. Though humanistic in its terminology, it can be used as a spiritual term for our understanding of our standing in reality of day-to-day life. Because if God is in control of your reality and He is guiding you and you are loving Him, then whatever will be, will be. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. If you love Him and you are passionately pursuing Him, then yes, You can't control what's going to happen anyway. But you can pursue him. And that is what Paul is talking to the people in Ephesus here about in so much more detail than I have time to go into or have studied enough for even. But there's so many verses here, but everything he is talking to them about is saying, be imitators of God. Don't be asleep. And if you are asleep, wake up. Get out of your deadness. Christ will shine on you. Because you are a believer, you are called to something different. And therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. 
So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When I talk about whatever will be, will be, I'm not, I'm not talking about throwing up your hands and just saying, okay, whatever, we'll just see what God does. You know, waiting around. We've been singing about who God is this week. In fact, we sang a song earlier. The first one we sang, I love that song. And in it, it just talks about, on the first part, how we cannot, but we do because God can and because of grace. And it's all for grace. And I think on those words, and I love the songs we sing this week, but that one in particular. And I think about the fact that you may not like the way your life is going, or you may not, you may not know what's going to happen in the next situation in your life. But you know what? We know the end story. We know who's already won. We can live with confidence. You and I can live with confidence. You may say to yourself, man, this situation isn't going to end the way that I wanted it to. And that's okay. Situations in life often don't end the way we want them to. Or they often end in a way that leaves tension or us wondering what God is going to do next. You can continually and must continually be living as though you are about to die. None of us knows what a day may bring forth. Uh, We had a good close family friend of ours who passed away yesterday at a relatively young age. And I think, man, I would not have thought that a few months ago. I would not have. But none of us wakes up thinking, up oh, today's the day. I hope not, anyway. But we should live that way. We should live as though each day is our last and that no matter what happens throughout this day, the only thing that matters is pursuing Christ and pursuing Him in my own heart and life so that when I do communicate and I do get out there and I do have effect with others, they will see that I am pursuing something more than the job I'm doing here today. Whatever job it is you do and whatever activity you're in. In your home, if you're living at your family's home, your family will see that. If you're living with friends, if you're living with roommates, if you're living with your wife, whatever that is, they will see that you're pursuing Christ as something more than the doldrum of the everyday life that you've become accustomed to. They will know, hello, that you are living for something more. Are you living your life as if it is the way you want it to end? Or are you despairing that you are not accomplishing who you could be in Christ? Or have you just given up? I've done that. I've given up more than once. Christ and his love and grace has brought me back. Like the bear and the little girl in the story, we have to live with endings that cause tension or sadness in our lives. But just like there would be no Sunday resurrection or resurrection Sunday morning, Christ would not have come out of the tomb had there not been a good Friday. And you and I, we cannot have resolution without crisis. I was writing a speech earlier this week and something my dad and I talked about in there and I put into it, but it applies to the Christian life even though we were talking about education. It said, he, he said that freedom does not come by osmosis, but by active defense and passionate pursuit. So too does a life with Christ not come by osmosis, but it comes with passionate pursuit and active defense against those things that would tear us down, against the sleep 
and against the deadening of our senses towards Christ. The same could be said for us. And so I want to encourage you guys, challenge you guys even, to seek out Christ, to seek out believers around you. This week is always fun, I think, but it's easy to come here and to hear people speak and to sing songs and to feel emotions welling up in you. But when you get back home in your day-to-day lives, it's not that easy. And that's one of the reasons I missed last year was because I didn't get a little mountaintop where I got to go speak to other believers and other young people and and people who I can talk with about things of our day or play volleyball with. I haven't played volleyball in two years. I was telling Jonathan this last night. I was like, this could be bad. (laughs) But if you're going to have a relationship with Christ, it has to be something you pursue. And so I encourage each one of you to take the time yourselves to pursue that. And if you're struggling, go to the Word. But also go to the church. Find a church and be involved with believers. Find people who you know are like-minded. But most importantly of all, if you are pursuing the goal, pursuing Christ, He will show Himself to you in your heart and in your life, and you will be drawn to Him. Be a passionate pursuer. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And make the most of your time, because these days are evil. I was talking with our brother Matt earlier before his, uh, before his session, talking about how, how evil the days are where we're at. And I was just reminded of, man, we live in a day where we have cast off sexual restraint. We have cast off so many social norms even. And the moral restraint that we once had in this country, even 30 years ago, is gone. And believers, or I should say churchgoers today, are not responding to the activities that we see in almost any way other than to wait to see what the next one is that pops up on Twitter tomorrow. In this 24-hour mad dash news cycle that we live in. You and I, we can be that remnant of people who seek Christ, who pursue Him and follow Him. Put everything else aside. Live your life passionately for Him. Pursue the goal. The prize is Christ. And eternity will be so much sweeter. It'll be sweet enough, but it'll be so much sweeter to have gone through our lives pursuing Him, knowing He is the end goal. And not being a nomadic Christian where we just wander around all the time and hope that we can somehow have a relationship with Him. That's not Christianity. And if that's what you're doing, you have to ask yourself, who am I in my relationship with Him? Do I have a relationship with Him? Seek Him out. Passionately pursue Him. And you will not be disappointed. You may be disappointed at the end of the day. This day. But you will not be disappointed when you know that you have Christ who is living in you. Because we, I mean, I go back to, I get disappointed all the time. I get disappointed when Michelle picks another place to eat. I never should have asked her where she wanted to go. (laughs) Disappointment. Life's full of it. The only thing that's not disappointing is the reality of a relationship with Christ and knowing and pursuing that and one day experiencing that. Live each day as if it were your last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just uh, I thank you for these guys here and for the opportunity just to share and fellowship together. Um, 
I appreciate their interest in spiritual things. It's a, it's a rare thing, rarer these days. And so I ask that you would cause them to love you and to pursue you in a relationship and that they would be infectious in their pursuit, that others would see it, would want it, would seek to know why their lives are different and that you would change this generation and the next because of their commitment and following of Christ. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.